Jesus. Amen. So we are talking uh, about who Jesus is and who Jesus says he is and who the Gospels say Jesus is. We've been in the Gospel according to John. Uh, And if you've been following along uh, with the daily readings, you should have read through John chapter 18 this week. And right now we're talking about the analogies and the metaphors and the similes used in the Gospel of John to talk about Jesus. The last uh, two weeks we looked at a couple instances of John the Baptist speaking about Jesus. Uh, First, where John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, And then last week where Jesus was the bridegroom and we were remembered that God not only loves us, but he likes us. He delights in us that God desires to know us and to be known by him. Now, interestingly enough, uh, in ancient Jesus Jesus culture, in ancient Jewish culture, uh, a person's self-testimony wasn't admissible in the court of law. So if if there was a dispute, uh, someone testifying on their own behalf uh, didn't do anything for them when it came to the legal proceedings. Uh, Jesus alludes to this in John chapter 5 where he says, If I testify, testify about myself, my testimony is not true. But there's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. And this is going to be important as we uh, get into the meat of John chapter 8 today, where Jesus calls himself the light of the world. Light played a huge role in the collective consciousness of uh, the Jewish people, mostly because of the role it played in the Exodus. Uh, if we remember, the Exodus uh, is the second, well, the book of Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament right after Genesis. And it begins with the birth of a boy named Moses. Um, if you saw uh, the Ten Commandments, you know something about the life of Moses. Um, and uh, Moses, you know, he's, he's born uh, to a Jewish family living in captivity in Egypt. Uh, there, it's a time when the Pharaoh is killing off all the, the Jewish baby boys being born. Uh, So his mother hides him in this little basket, pushes him out into the Nile River, um, which is an incredible act of faith if you've watched any nature programming about the Nile River and how many crocodiles there are in the Nile River. I mean, I, I read this story after watching Planet Earth, and I am just amazed at the faith that Moses' mother has saying, I'm going to push my infant out into the Nile and hope that he isn't eaten by a crocodile. We're done chasing that rabbit. Back to, back to what's going on here. Uh, so so uh, Moses is found in the Nile by an Egyptian princess. She says, ah, a kid. I want a kid. This is my kid. It's, it's a teen mom Uh, circa 3500 B.C. Um, 
So, Moses uh, grows up in the Egyptian court, uh, but he's always kind of an outsider because he's clearly not Egyptian. Um, As an adult, he gets into some legal trouble and flees to Midian. And while in Midian, we have this, uh, the the beginning of the Exodus narrative uh, happens with Moses and uh, the burning bush. So in Exodus chapter 3, we read that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And this, is, uh, this marks a, a theme that continues throughout the, the Exodus story, that God appears to his people in light and in fire. Uh, we for, uh, fast forwarding to Exodus chapter uh, 13, we find um, that in verse 20, after leaving uh, Succoth, so this is after uh, the, the plagues have happened and the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea and they are in the wilderness. And in verse 20, after leading uh, Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. And neither the pillar of cloud nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So um, traveling at night was pretty stinking dangerous in the ancient world um, because there were no headlights on the camels. Um, at nighttime, you had marauders. You could fall into caverns, in, or caverns, uh, ravines. Uh, like, it was a dangerous thing to travel without light. Um, so here, the, the leadership of God is marked by this ability to travel at night because the light of God led them. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't end, right? So if we go forward to Exodus chapter uh, 19, I think, yeah. Uh, Exodus chapter 19. Once again, we see, uh, we see light playing an important role. So uh, this is a sort of pre-wilderness journey. And Moses and the people are trying to figure out how to, how to live together. Uh, in verse 14 of chapter 19, uh, Moses goes uh, back up uh, the mountain. And on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered, covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke with the voice, or Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. 
So over and over and over, like the, the, the way the Exodus narrative describes God's presence with the people is light. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see light as a form of divine revelation. Oftentimes when God shows up, it is in light. Um, so light becomes for, uh, for the, the, uh, the Hebrew people, for the Jews, um, this sort of shorthand for God's divine revelation. Because the light lights up the darkness. The light illumines uh, new truth time and time again. And then in John chapter 8, we see Jesus putting himself into this light tradition. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. For Jesus to say he is the light of the world is a declaration that divine revelation is in him. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. God and Jesus are, are um, the Father and the Son are united in purpose and in revelation. This becomes a, a major theme throughout the gospel according to John, that if you know Jesus, you know the Father as well. But as is often the case, Jesus says something, and the religious elite are immediately ready to put him on trial. So in verse 13, the Pharisees then challenged him, here you are appearing as your own witness, but your testimony is not valid. But then listen to Jesus' response. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. For in your law it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. The other witness is the Father who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, this isn't a legal dispute. But even if it were, God the Father is my witness. Do you really need a second witness if the first witness is God? And then in verse... 19 and 20. Then they asked him, where is your father? And Jesus said, you do not know me or my father. For if you knew me, you would know my father also. If you knew him, you would know me. And you don't know me, so you must not know him. This becomes one of the, the central themes of John's teaching. That if you want to know God, if you want to know the Father, then get close to Jesus. Because if you know one, you know the other. That true divine revelation, that true understanding, that true light, that the true word is found in the person of Jesus. 
Jesus is walking, talking, divine revelation. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And when life gets messy and there are tough decisions to be made, you know, it, it, it's been said enough that it almost comes across as a cliche, this idea of you know, when you have a tough decision asking what would Jesus do. But there's not really a better question to ask. Because the promise in verse 12 is that when we walk with Jesus, we walk with the light of life. We have, we have revelation. We're able to see things that can't be seen with the naked eye. St. Augustine once made the observation that, that light is one of the truly great metaphors for God amongst us. Because light can shine into darkness and impurity infinitely without ever being corrupted or defiled. I mean, think about that. Like, you have your, your flashlight and you shine it to see where you're going at nighttime. Um, you know, I, I think about a story that I heard uh, Fred Reeser tell a while back um, where, you know, out, out where they live, they have some, some animals. And when he goes out at night, he goes with a flashlight because he doesn't want to step in anything. Either like a hole and break his ankle or you know, a pile of something and ruin his shoes, right? So, you know, you walk around with this flashlight. It doesn't matter how many cow patties you shine a flashlight on. They can't make the light any less light. Right? And likewise, we, we live in a world that is broken. That, that sin has had catastrophic effects on. But Jesus entered into our world and lived without being corrupted or defiled in any way. And that's remarkable. That God would love us enough that He would send His Son into the world knowing all of the brokenness, all of the, the sinful patterns, both personally and corporately, that we deal with. With the knowledge that he couldn't be corrupted or defiled. So that when, when Jesus is offered up as the perfect sacrifice for us, in the atonement of our sins, he is offered without blemish. He's perfect. He's not corrupted by the sin and brokenness of the world around us. He's the light of life. 
And interestingly enough, in a mysterious way that none of us can explain, he chooses to give that light to us. In the uh, the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I have no idea how God does this. There's not a, a chart in your Bible that, that explains how Jesus, as the light of the world, is able to share his light with us, and his light can shine through us to make a difference in the world. I can't explain how that happens. But I know it does. I I was um, listening to a podcast this week uh, called Finding Fred. Um, It's a fatherly podcast um, by uh, Carvel Wallace. And he is uh, essentially uh, retelling the story of Fred Rogers. And one of the episodes this past week uh, was about Fred Rogers' relationship uh, with this family in Connecticut whose daughter developed this terrible disease where she was having 100 seizures a day. And, um, and they uh, like called WQED in Pittsburgh and said, hey, would it be possible to get you know, a signed picture of Fred Rogers for our daughter. She's about to have this surgery, which is going to be horrific, um, but she's been having these seizures. And um, instead of sending a picture, that night he called, and then when she went in for surgery, he visited her, visited her multiple times at the hospital and, and left a set of the neighborhood of make-believe puzzles, or puzzles, puppets, uh, in her bed with her so that when she woke up out of, out of her uh, medically induced coma, she wouldn't be alone, and then continued in her family moving on. And I think about how, how unique a demonstration of grace that is. In a world where where we say uh, one of the, the, the good things about becoming powerful and important is that um, you, you can uh, kind of separate from people. Like you can say, well, my time's really important because I'm really important. Here we see this man go out of his way to go beyond what is asked to show the grace of God.
the light of the world was able to shine through him, and it made a radical impact on this family. And we are invited into this, into this ministry. That, that it's not our light, um, and that, that, that needs to be something we, we understand, I think, that you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not that we are just really, really special. Um, but that Jesus is special. That Jesus in his love for us has invited us into the ministry that he's already doing. All of us. Like this isn't something, you know, reserved for, you know, the 1% of super spiritual, pious, you know, weirdos that most of us don't really like anyway. We're all called to this. We're all called to experience God's love. We're all called to, to experience the, the light of Christ in our lives, which gives direction. And then to share that light with others. Which is incredible. It's incredible, right? Like, like I... I always hated group projects. Like those of you who are still in school, do any of you like group projects? No. The only people who are shaking their heads, yes, I like group projects, are the people who don't work very hard on group projects and take advantage of the people who don't like them. Right? Right. Group projects are are infuriating because you have to trust other people to do things that you aren't convinced that they'll do as well as if you just took care of it yourself. And that God in his grace chooses to invite us into the ministry of loving the world rather than just doing it himself? God's a far better being than I am. God desires for us to to experience a life of love and joy and grace. He, He desires to give us a taste of what it is to to love someone with a divine love. The Bible tells us again and again here, especially in the Gospel of John, that if you know Jesus, you know the Father. That as we come to better understand who Jesus is and how Jesus' life in ministry makes a difference, that that opens our eyes and our hearts and our world to seeing God at work in every part of it. That as difficult questions 
uh, enter into our lives, that we have decisions to make that, that are big and that are hard. We can make, it, make those decisions rooted in the knowledge of who Jesus is. And not only uh, with this question of what would Jesus do as the backdrop, but even being able to think about in terms of what would Jesus do if Jesus were me. Because the, the, the difficulty of the question, what would Jesus do, is that we are talking about uh, a person that the, the, the Bible's revelation um, is confined to a context that was 2,000 years ago, half a world away. But as we discover more and more the character of Christ, as we discover more and more uh, the, the intentionality of Christ, the, uh, the, the deep-rooted person of who Jesus is, we can begin answering that question. What would Jesus do if Jesus were me? If Jesus were living here in Grove City in 2020, and this opportunity presented itself, what would Jesus do? And we can trust that, that, that there will be clarity because in verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who walks with me does not walk in darkness. He who walks with me uh, doesn't step in cow patties, doesn't step in holes, even when the world is dark, our path continues to be light. And that's good news. Let's pray together. Most holy and gracious God, we thank you that you cannot be corrupted that you are undefiled, that your light continues to be perfect. Illuminating our path. Charging up that, that glow in the dark part of us that allows us to take your light into the world with us. Lord, we confess that at times we have seen the darkness of the world and we have found it to be overwhelming. But Lord, we trust in your unchanging grace today that as we walk with you that our path will be brighter and brighter. 
that we will live like we are in a bedroom with three nightlights. And Lord, we thank you for that. That you have not left us to search slowly and cautiously in the dark, but that your son Jesus is the light. And that we can trust that like a pillar of fire led your people during the exodus, that the light of Christ can lead us into your best life for us. Lord, you are good. We love you, and we thank you, and we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.